The unsurpassed penetrating perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it, we can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. If you look at the calendar uh, in September, seems like September 22nd is the autumnal, I said that right, equinox, so the beginning of fall. Um, September here is still a little on the hot side, uh, although we did have a cool morning this morning. And uh, we've got fires all around us. That's just kind of how it is these days. With the climate changes we are experiencing, the weather doesn't seem to go by the calendar anymore um, as it used to, or maybe it did some of the time because the weather does what it does. Hopefully by the middle of this month we'll have some cooler weather. I mean, the warmer weather was nice, but a little bit cooler would be nice. As a young person, uh, September um, and the coming of fall used to mean for me a return to school uh, and starting up football practice. Uh, I grew up by Ocean Beach in San Francisco. The summer was often cool and foggy and gray. Okay. Um, Mark Twain said that the coldest winter he ever spent was summer in San Francisco. So, um, and, and it turns out that September, at least the way it used to be, September and October was some of the nicest weather in the Sunset District in San Francisco, Sunset District out by Ocean Beach. Um, uh, so September and October were some of the nicest weather. And, of course, I was back at school and I was playing football. So I was in a sweaty football uniform or a stuffy classroom. It wasn't my favorite. <laughs> um, and where I went to university was just down in the South Bay. Uh, September was kind of the same and even hotter. When I decided to stop playing football and um, drop out of school, fall became actually very enjoyable for me because I didn't have to do those things. Okay? So fast forward a little bit, a uh, year or so um, from when I left college, uh, and I end up in September in a Buddhist monastery participating in a monastic training term. Well, that was at Shasta Abbey here. Okay, 19, I think 1973. Um, Reverend Master Ji, who always included the, the lay people at the monastery in the training term. We were, we were doing it with the monks. Okay? Um, and in, in those early days, earlier days of Shasta Abbey, sometimes we'd have a dozen people here for the training term. Sometimes, I think we had 20 once. I remember being in a, a, a bedroom where we we had either three or four bunk beds, you know, a really small room, and there were eight of us staying in there. Um, so anyway, there, there, you know, just seems, uh, as compared to recent years, and of course there's extenuating circumstances in recent years, but, but we, we had a good crowd of people come for the training term. 
So on September 6th, which I guess is Tuesday, um, we begin our fall training period. And today I thought it might be interesting to talk about the rhythm of the monastery and in particular uh, talk about our two yearly training periods because these are very traditional things in Buddhist practice. So first let me say a few words about Buddhist, the Buddhist history of, this, um, of these retreats, these three-month retreats. So the Buddha, uh, in time, as he had more disciples, um, felt that it was good for the monks to stay in one place in India during the rainy season, roughly from July to October. So that's three lunar months. Um, if you look up uh, Vasa, this, this is called the Vasa, the rains, the rains retreat. If you look it up in Wikipedia, it says that in fact, the rains retreat, Vasa, uh, predates the time of the Buddha. So it was a long-standing practice for mendicant ascetics in India not to travel during the rainy season because their concern was that they might un unintentionally walk over crops that had been you know, planted and you couldn't distinguish in, in the puddles of water, um, trot on insects, um, or even uh, hurt themselves in, in their travels. And, and of course, it was probably no fun getting soaked by heavy monsoon rains. Um, so I, I imagine, because you know, I, I can't get all the, all the pieces of the history, but I imagine the staying in one place was made easier as the Buddha and his monks were given retreat places with shelters in them. Because that's what happened over time. People gave uh, the Buddha and his disciples these different um, pieces of land, um, which you know probably had good water, and, and and then they built structures on them, so they had some shelter, because kind of nice for a living to have some shelter. Um, and you know these were all over northern India, so. Uh, the Vasa, this rain, this rain, rains time where they stayed in one place, became a time when the monastic sangha stayed in one place rather than wandering and practiced as a community. So it was usually groups of them, you know, practicing together, and it wasn't everybody together because they because they were on foot before that and they were spread out through India, and but it usually, usually when it came to settling down for the Vasa the rains retreat, um, there were groups of people. Okay. And the Vasa became a time when the monastic sanda stayed in one place, as I say, um, rather than wandering around as they did the rest of the year, and practiced as a community. So, you know, over time you had monks, male, and then you had female monks were ordained. So, so then... Uh, the male and female monks would do this in separate monasteries. They would settle down for this period of time. And they would intensify their meditation practice during this time. Um, and the Buddha or other senior monks, if the Buddha was, was in another location, would give teachings, especially to the newer monks. So it was a time of teaching. And as a community, um, 
at these different places where the monks settled down, they would work on living harmoniously. This is really important, okay? Um, and you'll see why here in a bit. Um, during the Vasa, lay practitioners would come to the monastery to make offerings and to join with the monastic community in the daily practice. So, so they weren't, the monks weren't walled off, um, cloistered in that sense, that the lay people could come in, because without the lay people coming in, they wouldn't have food. And the lay people would, would stay and practice with them, you know. I guess depending on their circumstances, they would stay for various lengths of time or for part of a day. So there's a, a lovely piece uh, in the Pali Canon about a group of monks practicing together that the Buddha goes to visit. So I'm going to be reading from the Buddhist teaching on social and communal harmony by Bhikkhu Bodhi. But in actual fact, uh, well, and in actual fact, this can be found in the middle-length discourses. It's entitled here, A Model of Monastic Harmony. So there are these three monks uh, practicing together. And I don't know if it's the Vasa or not, but they were practicing together. Um, and the Buddha decides to go visit them because he's heard really good things about them. They're very harmonious. Um, so the Buddha comes to visit him, them and he says, I hope you are all keeping well. I hope you are all comfortable and not having any, any trouble getting alms food because that's how they get their food. Um, by going on the alms round. And in reply, uh, they say, we are keeping well, we are comfortable, and we are not having any trouble getting alms food. And then the Buddha says, I hope that you are all living in concord with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. That's a really nice thing, kindly eyes. Um, And they reply, surely Bhante, Bhante means teacher, uh, we are living in concord with mutual appreciation without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. And the Buddha says, well, how do you do this? Um, and they reply, as to that, I... Let's see. Oh, here it is. It is a gain for me... No, try that again. Uh, as to that, I think, it is a gain for me, it is a great gain for me that I'm living with such companions in the holy life. I maintain bodily acts of loving kindness toward those venerable ones, both openly and privately. I maintain verbal acts of loving kindness towards them, both openly and privately. I maintain mental acts of loving kindness towards them, both openly and privately. I consider, why should I not set aside what I wish to do and do what they wish to do? Then I set aside what I wish to do and do what they wish to do. We are different in body, but one in mind. That is how we are living in concord, with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. So you know, just, they, they were a very exemplary group, exemplary group of people because that didn't always happen when the Buddhists set, settled down with the monks. Sometimes there were disputes and difficulties this was a really exemplary group. Okay. So Great Master Dogen, whose life we celebrate today, brought back from China the practice of intensive retreat time for the monks and any lay practitioners who wanted to join in. In Japanese, the term for a three-month retreat time is ango, okay. A-N-G-O. And ango translates as dwelling in peace. Um, 
for myself, I'd say to properly dwell in peace, we need to meditate, keep the precepts, um, and uh, live harmoniously and perceptually with other people. So it's not this thing of, you know, you alone somewhere. um, Ango is not a bliss out, solo time in a cave somewhere where you're all alone. It's actually a time where you practice with other people. Very difficult. You know, we, we're, it's, it's hard work, but it's rewarding. Uh, yeah. So just as with the Vasa, Ango lasted three months, somewhere between 90 and 100 days. Um, Wikipedia says that practice during the Ango consists of meditation, study, and work. Interestingly, as Ango practice developed in Japan, it was held twice a year. Okay, so for these um, yearly three-month retreats, we what's been passed on to us through River Master Jiu is two re, two ninety-day retreats a year. Okay, one ninety-day period is from spring to summer, so it's um, it's actually late winter, but February to into May. Okay, and the second period is from fall to winter, so usually September to December, okay? And uh, Great Master Dogen has a chapter in his Shobo Genzo, you know, that really big book, entitled Ango, uh, about the 90-day summer retreat, okay? He spends a lot of time in this piece explaining ceremonies that they do during the retreat, but he also just talks about it in general, so I'm going to give you a little bit of that. Um, he, he thought very highly of this retreat time, and he said, taking up the eye and the head crown of the Buddhas and ancestors, we make them into the days and months of 90 days of summer. One summer retreat is therefore something equivalent to Buddha after Buddha and ancestor after ancestor. The summer retreat from the beginning to end is what an ancestor is. Beyond this, there is not a single additional inch of ground, nor is there a great earth. Later on, he says, hence, to do a summer retreat is to see Buddhas and ancestors as well as to meet them. For a summer retreat has for ever so long created Buddhas and ancestors. The 90-day summer sitting is the ancient turning of the wheel of the Dharma, and it is the ancient practice of Buddhas and ancestors. Um, in Reverend Hubert's, Reverend Master Hubert's introduction to Ango, he states that Great Master Dogen said uh, a number of times in this piece that Ango was not just for the monks; it was actually for also for lay and female trainees as well. Okay. So at Shasta Abbey, from passed down through Reverend Master Giu. Uh, we, we do two 90-day practice periods, two ongos every year. So February to May, September to December. Uh, and if you've practiced with us for a while, you know that there's a certain rhythm to our monastic year. We have monastic retreats. We have lay retreats. We have Jukai, Jukai the taking of the precepts. We have Vesak. Um, we, have, we do work projects. We have book groups. 
Uh, and then there's certain times of the year where we rest, okay? we, particularly in January, after our training term. Just you know, to, I mean, we still need to do the things to to continue the monastery, um, but we get a bit more rest. So. Harkening back to the earlier days here again, uh, after a while, the summer at Shasta uh, was just too hot for Reverend Master Jiu. Okay, she, for her, her health, she just was too hot. Um, so she would often go down to the Berkeley Priory for the hotter months. Okay, and to her dying day, though, she was always excited about getting back for the fall training term at the Abbey. She was, she was really excited, you know. We're going to really, you know, get going. Well, of course, as it sometimes turns out, um, we hadn't finished the building project, okay? So, and we couldn't stop because we, we needed what we were building. Um, so, slightly reluctantly, she said, get it done. Just get it done. And then we'll have the training term. Because um, yeah, she was really e- eager to have the training term. And as I say, I mean, practically, we needed to get the work projects done. Um, so it would be full on to get the project done. I mean, some of the projects we worked into the evening, just to, as, they, as they were kind of drawing to a close to get all the details done. And once we'd finished the project, we'd start the training term. So all, all year long, we're training and practicing. That's, that's true of us all. You know, it's what what goes on. There's always training and practice. So, so why these you know, two 90-day periods of intensive meditation? Well, because they help us. <laughs> Just for that simple reason. You know? there's, there's a rhythm. and you know, we, we were, Things are more intense and then less intense. Um, and then there's just everyday life. But with the training term, the one we're going to start on Tuesday, we're getting up at 5.30. So that's a little half hour earlier than we've been getting up for a while. In September, October, and November, we have three-day meditation retreats uh, with lots of formal meditation. And we really simplify what we do for working meditation. We pretty much all work in the kitchen to get out a single meal. Master Mayon lectures to us every day and and offers... um, spiritual counseling for us. During these three-day retreats, we try to be quieter, okay? Because if you know monks, monks love to talk, and we can be really noisy. So we, it's nice to have a time when we're a little quieter. There are lay practitioners that come specifically to join in for these retreats. This is wonderful. Um, as the 90 day, uh, days of the fall retreat draw to a close, we have a seven-day retreat. Um, starting December 1st. And this is uh, one of the few times during the year that these re- we're having a retreat, and it's only for the monastic community. So these, these ones in uh, early winter and early spring are just, just the seven days for the monastic community. Uh, we can have formal meals in the meditation hall during this, these seven-day retreats. And... Uh, and specifically, the, the retreat in the fall, um, this seven-day retreat at the, towards the end of the 90 days is called Rohatsu. 
Um, Rohatsu means, it's the Buddha's enlightenment. It means enlightenment. Okay? In Japanese Buddhism, the Buddha's enlightenment is celebrated on December 8th. And so that's what we've taken up to doing. And so December 7th, uh, the night before the 8th, we sit till quite late in the evening, night, quite, quite late in the night, and then get up the next day and have the Rohatsu ceremony. Um, Interestingly, in Theravadan Buddhism, the Buddha's enlightenment is celebrated at Vesak. Okay, that Ve- and Vesak in Buddhism can be in May, it can be in April. I think I've even seen it in June. Uh, so I find it very interesting. You know, you, you, you can't necessarily pin down the Buddhist world about what, what, how long they do something and when they do it. But we're all kind of doing the same thing. And I gather what's happened now is in the Buddhist world... Uh, on December 8th, Bodhi Day is being celebrated. As a way, Bodhi Day is, means enlightenment, too, Bodhi, uh, to recognize this is a time to celebrate the Buddha's enlightenment. When we do these seven-day retreats and it's just the monks, we really appreciate the support that we're giving because without the support, we couldn't do them, you know, without donations that support us. Um, I, I know a number of you also use uh, this seven-day retreat time to intensify your own practice. Okay, um, you know I've heard of people sitting all during that time and culminating with the sitting late at night on the seventh day, or something. You know something that that, that intensifies the practice. Well, as we all know, the pandemic really threw a wrench into the works. You know, it just things have not quite been the same ever ever since. Um, slowly, more people are coming to the monastery again. Okay, and to be honest, we we miss you. We so enjoy practicing with you, and you make a big contribution when you come here, just by being here. It's, it's we support each other. We have one person here for the fall training term. I think that's great. Maybe in the future, more will come. So with the pandemic and just the passing of time, some of us have gotten older, as you do, we do, and frailer. (laughs) Um, This is the impermanence of life and aging, just as it is. There's nothing we can do about it, you know. Fortunately, you can join us on Zoom. I mean, it's something that came out of all this is a good use of the computer. Um, Yeah, but uh, it's also fairly, truly great to see you face to face. There's nothing like it. Okay, I mean, it's nice to see people's faces on Zoom and to hear their voices, especially if you haven't seen people for a while. Uh, but there's also nothing like in person. So I would say, come see us if you physically can. Take the time if you can. The monastery is a great battery recharger. That's what we hear from people, you know. It charges them back up to go back into the world. The world's difficult. This is a particularly difficult time. Um, And remember, Master Yu used to say, we retreat so that we can advance. That's the whole point of retreating. It's not to get away from everybody. 
but we retreat to work on things so that when we, when we go back into whatever we're doing, it's the same for the monks. You know, it's why we retreat, so we can do a better job of it. If you can't physically come to the monastery, you can still use these training terms to intensify your practice. I mean, three months, 90 days, that's a long time, but you know, in little ways you can intensify your practice. Um, do a little bit more meditation or reading of the Dharma okay, during this time. Vow to work on an, as- an aspect of your practice that could use some improvement. You know, sometimes, over and over again, people are pointing things out to us, but we're not seeing it. Well, this is a good time to consider what they're saying and take a good look at it. Um, Be more patient, kind, compassionate, generous during this time. I mean, these are things we should do all the time, but, you know, we can become conscious of, oh, I really need to work on these those things. I can be kinder. I can be more generous. Reach out to a friend who is in need. Do one thing at a time. Okay? In our modern world, we're trying to do all kinds of things at once and not necessarily doing a very good job of it. Get off the cu- computer a bit and walk in nature. It's a really good idea. It really grounds you. Do some physical work to repair and improve your surroundings. Okay, maybe we're not a qualified carpenter, but we can give something a coat of paint. Um, volunteer in your community. Donate to a charity. There are a lot of hungry children and adults. I mean, it's, it's, when you see this on the news, it's really tragic. I think to a certain extent it's always been that this way, but we more, know more about it now. Um, and, and a little bit can help. Um, if you can come practice with us at Shasta Abbey, please do. <laughs> we're here, okay? And this is you know partly what we're for, for people to come and join in the practice. Above all, keep a bright perspective in this troubled, divisive, and suffering time. Gloom and doom are a recipe to further drag our world in the muck. It it doesn't answer. (laughs) Gloom and doom doesn't do anything about anything. It's just a wallowing, okay? I mean, it's understandable, but we gotta shake ourselves out of it pretty quick. And so let me end here with some words from Leonard Cohen's anthem. He writes in this song, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Okay? So let the light come in. Appreciate the light and offer it back to the world. Thank you.